Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. We are rolling. Hard to believe where we are in the season in November. Second week of the college football playoff. I'm Yogi Roth. Ted Robinson, of course, Michael Molinari, produced by Hayden Gray, and everything here that we do is courtesy of our friends at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. So, there's a lot of headlines, fellas. I mean, so let's just let's start with the positive, um, at least in, in our eyes. I think the college football playoff. Oregon, they're at three. I thought they could have been at two in the most recent rankings, but they put them at three. It seems to be strong in that position. They slide up a spot. Utah climbs into the top 25 at 24. I don't see much difference between them and other three lost teams. I think they'll take another leap. As we know, uh, Ted, after you and I spent some time with Rick George, who's on the committee, the AD at Colorado last week, the amount of film they watch is much different than I'd imagine the coaches poll or the AP poll. Mm -hmm. So good news for the league in that <clears throat> regard. Some crossover games, San Diego State, they are still ranked. I think that's good just in terms of they put it on Arizona. If you're going to start comping things, Utah plays Arizona this weekend. Um, and away we go with a, with a lot of football left. So I'll start there as headline number one. What, what, what were your takeaways after that last night? Yeah, I, I think in my view that was where Oregon should have been. Uh, should have been three. And I'm happy that the committee and we did, as you referenced, Yogi, we did spend one on two time with Rick George, a uh, member of the committee, which was really enlightening for me. It was the first time I had spoken in a few years to someone who actually is sitting in that room. The games matter, which is good. Uh, that mouth from the South, Feinbaum guy went on ESPN, and of course, he's just trying to draw attention to himself. But he, the other day, had Ohio State ahead of Oregon, disregarding the head-to-head -head game. Um, the committee also flipped the order, disregarded the Michigan State-Michigan game, right? They put Michigan ahead after Michigan State's loss to Purdue. So I'm happy that Oregon ends up at three. Utah did crack the top 25, so the pack at least uh, has a second team in. But I, like you, Yogi, was taken with our, we had about 30 minutes with Rick uh, George on this, and the fact that it, it really, in his word, he said it's like, it's like being a scout, which he's been in his life before. He's looking and assessing the teams, not like we do oftentimes as fans and media members, but he's assessing it more like a scout prepping and breaking down for a game. Yeah. So, so I want to bang around, Michael. I want to bang around head to head. Let, let's go hard. Where do you sit on that? And I, and I wonder if we agree or disagree on this topic, because clearly it's going to continue to be a topic of conversation. I think when the resumes are similar, then the only thing left is head to head. I don't agree that head-to-head -head matters when one team has played an incredible schedule and has an impressive body of work and it's not even close. But when it comes down to two teams, and I think, I think Oregon and Ohio State would fall into that category, two teams that have similar resumes, and I, some would argue Oregon's played a tougher schedule anyway, when it's head-to-head -head you know, at Ohio State, I don't know how you can't have Oregon and Ohio State for that one example. Um, I want to circle back for a second. First of all, Jimmy Hart of the WW World Wrestling Federation, the original mouth of the South, the honky tonk man's manager. So let's, yes. let's, let's, let's give him some credit. Um, and then secondly, I think the, I think the most important thing that happened in the rankings this week, wasn't that Oregon moved from four to three. It's that wake forest lost. And I think that mm -hmm. actually is a huge, uh, that's one 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 worry that's gone away for Oregon that a team might sneak in. If we're, if we could run the table, it's hard to say. But how how could they not have been in? So I think that 
in some way uh, gives Oregon a little bit of insurance policy. And, and, and Michael, it's well said. And let me just throw one last thing in here, Yoke. Uh, given that this is clearly an SEC uh, tilted process to begin with, uh, that Alabama, as I often say, will have to lose three times to be totally eliminated from this process. Let's also say Oregon and Ohio State played each other. Michigan and Michigan State played each other, and they will all play all, all will play Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia have only played, as we said, twice in the last millennium in the regular season. They may well play in their conference championship game. But again, in an equity that favors the SEC. Yeah, and in the SEC, the mouth of the South, I'm sure they're just keyed up for New Mexico State, Alabama this weekend. <laughs> Thrilling football. Samford, Florida. Here we go. The next two weeks is just SEC eight conference games at its finest. Um, this is where I net out on the head-to-head. And I saw a lot of diatribe around this last night. Herb Street, you felt like his annoyance. Uh, he was annoyed by you know that discussion last night. He went on social media and said his thoughts about it last night as well. Um, I, I think this, if, it's, if you have the same record when we don't play equitable schedules in this sport and you've won in a head-to-head, that may be Ohio State and Oregon if they both win their conference championship. I don't, I don't think, I don't know how you can't put that into consideration. So I know some fans probably in other parts of the country think Ohio State should be ranked higher. Based on what I would ask, they still haven't played anybody. Now, granted, their next three games are against three teams that are in the current college football playoff ranking, so we'll see what they look like. Uh, but th- that's kind of where I net out, that if you got the same record and you've beaten the team, when it's all said and done, I think you got to give them the nod. Uh, and to your point, Ted, the, the Big Ten thing will shake out. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a tie. It's, it, you're right, Yogi. It's a tiebreaker, and I think that's what Michael was saying. If the, yep. if most other things are balanced, it is a tiebreaker. If there's an imbalance, no, the head to head can't take precedence. But but here's the the other thing that just you know when Mike Oresco, the the commissioner of the American Conference, came out with this last week after the first week of rankings, and he said, "Look, let's face it. This is an SEC invitational, and invitational be is the key word. If you want to listen to the people that dismiss the head-to-head in the Oregon-Ohio State question. We're now talking about, again, being totally subjective. We're back to where we were in the era of polls, and everything is about opinion, and nothing on the field matters. It's all eyeball test. And that's the one caveat that comes out of the CFP conversations that is worrisome to me, even with Rick George, is that our charge is still to find the four best teams. That makes it a subjective I totally. invitational. And I don't think anybody wants that. We lived through that for years with the polls. Yeah. Okay. So just a little recruiting nerd fest for you. Cincinnati, the day we're recruiting, which or the day we're filming this today on Wednesday, just got a commitment from a young man named Luther Richardson. I think Luther is one of my top 10 high school quarterbacks in the country. I think is a lock to be a winner. And he was recruited by some power five schools. He plays for our friend Trent Dilfer in Tennessee. Uh, I don't think, I think he's thrown like less than 20 incompletions all season. They're rolling. With that said, he just committed to Cincinnati. So of course, my first message was, uh, why do you go there? And their response was, they think Luke Fickle like really is happy there. Them going into the Big 12, you can imagine what's going to happen. There's going to be influx of resources into that program. Uh, so I just think that's interesting. Here we are with them on the outside in. They're who knows how many years away. I, I, don't, I don't know the latest. Is it two years away from being in the Big 12? But I know a lot of SC fans are listening to this, and Luke Fickle was a name. So if you follow the breadcrumbs of recruiting, 
Uh, just a little tidbit there mm-hmm. as we as we kind of close off the loop in the CFP. Um, okay, a loop that I don't think any of us saw coming in the form that it's came is staff changes. You know, we try to shine a bright light on the positive things in this sport. I think that's why a lot of people listen to this, but we always pride ourselves on being truth tellers. And I've never felt anything like this. Oregon State makes a change on their staff. UW makes changes on their staff. Jimmy Lake is suspended for a game as the head coach of UW after what happened over the weekend in their game against Oregon at home. Uh, And then there's rumors around a bunch of other staffs, right? We know Washington State is going to have some sort of change they already had at USC. We've seen other teams around the country make staff changes. Like, what do we what do we think? Like, is 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 this where we are? Is it good for the players? Is it good for the game? Like, what what is the point of it? Are you saving face? Like. I, I, I think they're all a little different, but I'm curious what you guys think. Well, it's sure not good for anybody. I mean, good, good in that regard. But I just think it's real in that the line, which has been slowly blurring between college and pro, is blurred even more and is some places wiped out. This is now pro football. I mean, this is what accountability, head coaches fired midseason, staff changes midseason when there's some heat on. Power five school, Texas Tech, hires its new coach before the season is over off the staff of another school. This is what's been going on at Pro Football forever. I mean, it's not a every week occurrence, but it is something that the pros you're, you're used to. And outside of USC, which is now let a coach go three times in a decade in the middle of a season, outside of that, we're not used to seeing that in college. Um, and so you feel for the people involved, but you also understand, to me, guys, what it speaks of is the pressure – is more is felt more than ever, um, you know. And then again, let's judge the actions when coaches are changing coordinators in November, right? It's trying to salvage something. Can we get the bowl eligibility? Can we get to the rivalry game meaning something? Can I get, you know, take some of the heat off of me and i.e. the players by making a change that I was going to make at the end of the year anyway? I'll just do it now. Uh, to me, this is all again just part of that that separation in this regard between the two sports being blurred and the fact this is just, I mean, it's big, but it's business. It's, you know, the phrase, one of my favorite phrases, follow the money and what's gone on in the last five to 10 years in this sport, salaries of coaches have escalated exponentially. Hmm. And with that becomes as Ted said, we're moving a little more towards the pro, the pro model or the pro side of things. And as people get paid more and more money, these kind of things are bound to happen. And I think, I think we're seeing that. I don't think we've been probably a little more insulated from it in the pack than other conferences. And I think that's finally, it's finally come into our conference where this stuff's happening, but I, I don't want to put you on the spot, Yogi, but you're the only one of the three of us that played college football. What happened in Washington last week as a player watching that obviously we don't know the whole context but as a as a former player watching what happened up in washington what 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 goes through your mind yeah that's a great question and i'm going to flip it on you when after i answer it because i want to hear what you would do as a producer if you saw that in a game on the air (laughs) there's a lot that went through my mind one is like we don't know what the player is like off the field like we don't know the dynamics i don't know the dynamics so without knowing that here's my take um i think jimmy lake initially when he was trying to separate his player from a potential scrum we see that at times what i 
did not support is the push in the back and like taking another step further. Um, I think when you're the head coach, look, the camera's on you all game, right? I think your actions are always going to be reflected by your team and your frustration is often received and reflected by your team. So when I saw that, uh, I hated it. And we all kind of watched it together. We saw it on social media after our game a week ago. I think for a team in the locker room or in a team room, when you get in a team setting that Sunday um, and you get around your coach, you want to hear your coach apologize, right? This is a different era than when I played, uh, let alone even earlier than that, let alone five years ago, guys. We're looking at college athletes that have gone through a two-year window that no one in the history of college football has gone through in terms of dealing with a pandemic. So the amount of things that players are dealing with uh, on the field, off the field, uh, in their own minds, there, there is a lot to manage there. So I think a lot of these coaches, the phrase I often use is you got to meet your guys where they sweat. So you got to meet them and look at it from their perspective. Nobody who knows Jimmy Lake thinks that he's a bad guy or thinks that he would do anything malicious or ever strike a player, God forbid. Uh, but you got to own the actions that took place. And that's what I would imagine I would want to hear as a player is my coach say, look, man, I'm also learning to be a head coach in real time. That's the reality for Jimmy Lake. And mm -hmm. I screwed up. And I hope you guys in our team, in our familial environment, I can accept that apology and we can move forward together because we've all been frustrated and I was frustrated and, and I let my emotions get the best of me. That, that's what I would want to hear. Yeah. Hey, um, Michael, I want to hear this in a second, but look, two quick things. One is uh, there was a story yesterday that was uh, printed on Sports Illustrated's website. You should, everybody should look at it. In fact, I talked to Mick Cronin before we were, Michael and I were doing the basketball game at UCLA last night. I showed it to Mick Cronin. He just shook his head. Penny Hardaway, great basketball player, great Orlando Magic player, now the head coach at Memphis in basketball. Title of the story, the coach has no power anymore. And Penny Hardaway is quoted in the story talking about the fact that he lived it as a player. He said, coaching ain't what it used to be. It's not like I give you a scholarship. You'd be quiet. Do what I say. We're business partners now. So to your mm -hmm. point, Yogi, I think that it's so it, the timing of that story coming out was just so incredible because it falls right into this window i would say two other very quick things one is no professor on campus at washington could ever do that to a student in the class no administrator on washington's campus could ever do that to a student a coach cannot be any different and the last point is soapbox history moment for michael google woody hayes just google woody hayes anybody you young folks weren't even alive then i was alive and i watched it on television in college woody hayes clemson player bowl game national tv Keith Jackson ignored it on ABC. It ended Woody Hayes' career. He was a legend, Hall of Fame, legendary coach. That one moment, similar to what Jimmy Lake did, ended Woody Hayes' career. I have, I have two TV segues off that. First, mm -hmm. um, I'll answer Yogi's question about Washington, but the Woody Hayes moment, um, it's a great story that at that time, program, what people see at home, wasn't as a rule recorded in the television truck so at that time probably of the seven cameras they had only five were being recorded well one of the camera that showed that push shove incident was not being recorded in the truck so they did eventually have to show it again they had to get new york city to rewind the tape and play it back and basically have the announcers sort of fake it because they couldn't even see it 
-hmm. And at, from that forward, that day forward, every time you're in a television truck, the drool is you must always be a recording program for that reason, because there never can be something the audience sees that we mm -hmm. can't show you again. So that's right. a little story from, you know, became television uh, production mm -hmm. rule number one, a lot of rules, okay. but one of the top five, I guess. So that was one thing. And to answer Yogi's question, I definitely feel to show it again had to happen. And I think I would stress to the announcers as, you know, with you guys, that wouldn't be necessary necessarily, but for anyone I was working with, we got to stick with what we know and speculating, as you said, we don't know the relation. There's so much we don't know. So I think we just comment on what we see here. And then if we get some more information, if for instance, you have a reporter and there's some way you can see a little bit of what's the mood on the sideline, how do you advance the story a little bit? And then I think the third thing would be out of a break when we have some time to comment on this properly, because trying to show this between plays and Yogi, what are your thoughts? And here comes a snap and they're throwing a 40 yard bomb that doesn't work. It's gotta be, we come out of break, we show it, we've got 15, 20 seconds. We know where we can focus just on this comment and not on the field. That's the thing I think maybe was missed. Give it a little perspective at a later time when you have a moment. And I think that's important because it puts everybody in a bad position to try to jam that in between plays and really give it any substance. And, and, my, and Michael's, that's a great point. That story about the TV truck is great. And I'll addendum because Keith Jackson is a, you know, regarded as the great voice of college football. His claim was he didn't see it. And again, it was hard for all of us to understand because we all saw it. Exactly. <laughs> what yeah. fuzzy TV we were, we were watching where I was in college when it happened. I remember vividly where I was because you just couldn't believe it. And Keith Jackson, why he ignored it, he claimed after the fact was that he didn't see it. And I wow. think I think that he couldn't see it on a replay. I know that. Yeah. You know, I, I, Ted, I don't know about you, but I definitely, I went back and watched that game and went to the moment yeah. and I watched the TV copy, which I rarely do watching games back. And I was like, how, well, how, what would I have done? Like, how would I have handled that? Um, I don't know. Did you play that out in your head and, and what you would have said or what you, you would have thought? I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did. I watched the same thing. I watched the TV side and, and uh, there was more of just a shock and thing. And uh, it was uh, Robert Griffin, the third, right. Who's, not been an analyst before and he really didn't say anything uh yeah and you have to i mean and, and again in this day and age my goodness you you have uh, again i and look i I've, I've been around this in in another sport with with a coach who i know well that had a moment like that and you just it's just it's just not good and like i keep coming back to it in this day and age you can't do it no matter what and, and on a college campus if 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 coaches have often tried to say i'm just a teacher so I'm like a professor in my classroom. Bobby Knight used to say that all the time. That's why he didn't let people like us into his practices. Right? Professors don't let you go into their lecture room. Okay, great. Yeah, professors don't smack kids and throw balls at them and, you know, all swear and cuss at them all the time. And we, I know it's sports, but still, to me, it's, it, it comes back to a simple commandment. No one on a college campus can do that. Coach can't be able to do it. You, you never should have been able to do it, and now you can't. And I guess right. that's right. progress. Yeah, amen. To Why that. is Mo well, that's why Molinari is so smart. He just made <laughs> Yogi. I'm supposed to be the one with the economy of words. How about Molinari? That was perfect. Oh, he's uh that's why he's the he's the coach, right? Um all right. With that said, just to put a bow on UW, this week acting head coach Bob Gregory will take the reins. 
Junior Adams is now the offensive coordinator because they also made staff changes amid all of uh, all of the elements that went on that we just described. Uh, so a lot going on there. And I look at them over the next couple games, right? They have Arizona State at home, which played extremely impressively, in my opinion, over the weekend. They go to Colorado, who's climbing, and then they have Washington State. You know, every week we kind of say, like, what are we most anticipating? I'm really anticipating watching how this team competes. What do the players do to Michael's question to me? Like, how are they? You know, you look at their record right now and kind of the reality on postseason within our league. You know, Washington's at four and five. They got to win two out of the next three. I'm curious how they how, how they I'm just I'm just really curious to see how they play. Do they make changes? Does Sam Heward become the guy? What is Junior Adams even going to be schematically? You can't make wholesale changes in a week, but we've seen Colorado do it. Spread things out a little bit, get the ball out of a quarterback's hand. A lot of questions for them. Uh, it'd be a, it'd be a fun game to broadcast because there's so much to talk about. And isn't it interesting, guys, that that it's Arizona State that Washington's playing because <laughs> last week, and I was pretty bold on where Arizona State was, and to the Arizona State credit, they responded. Give them credit. Their players came out and played against USC. Nothing like they had the previous week, week and a half. So they answered the question, and that's the same thing they're going to face now with Washington this week. And I mean, it was um, I read the Saturday night slash Sunday morning stories, and uh, especially Jimmy Lake being the main voice at that time was extremely critical of the offense. So I've got to believe it's going to be something different, Gil, because you said they can't they can't you know, dynamite the whole thing in a week. But you've got to believe there's going to be, whether it's personnel or scheme or just play choice, yeah. whatever phrase you want to use, there'll be something different. Is, is that the theme of the Pac-12 season, navigating unexpected and unforeseen challenges? I mean, that just it well, seems like every week we're talking about a different team having to deal with unexpected and unforeseen challenges. And does that bring us then to the commander of the Royal Navy, Justin Wilcox, talking about having to navigate? My gosh, Yogi, that's... I know, of course, yeah, you know, we've all gotten to know Justin. You've been particularly close with him. But that's just when you think I've lived in the Bay Area 30, over 30 years. I think I've heard just about everything about Berkeley, and yet there's another new chapter. Yeah, this one is it's frustrating on so many levels, right? Um, you know, I talked to Justin for a while, and, you know, he, here's the deal. When he got that head coaching job, I flew up there the, the next week, and I can remember spending time with him. And I said, hey, what's the coaching philosophy going to be around here? And he was very clear. He said, everything's going to go through the lens of, quote, what is best for the players, right? So what is best for the players? And here they are in a situation where the messaging from everything that we know and anyone knows if you just have the internet is the messaging to players from external voices around COVID-19, vaccines, st eligibility status has been mixed. Right. It hasn't been clear. It hasn't been as transparent as it needs to be. Um, so for the players, super frustrating. I like the fact that they didn't try to play this weekend or they, at least they said, you know what? Like we don't have any more offensive linemen. Our defensive staff isn't even in the building. Like we can't we can't do what's in the best interest of the players. Did everything they could to play. They competed there. You know what's off against Arizona. Just couldn't convert on some explosive opportunities. I mean, they had a chance to win the game, obviously. But I think to, to where they are now, um, it's frustrating. Uh, I'm excited that we get to call them in the big game. I would anticipate them 
being uh, at full strength for that game. Uh, and I'd anticipate Berkeley, the school, and the football athletic department being on a much cleaner communication page than they've ever been in prior history based on what's gone on over the last 10 days. Yeah. Jim, Jim Knowlton, uh, the athletic director, who I think is really just good, does a wonderful job. And Jim Knowlton made the comment. He said, look, players were asking questions of these health officials, both university and Berkeley health officials, that you would expect Cal students to ask. They've got it going. And they asked the right questions, smart questions. And now when you saw, if you paid attention to some social media, Chase Carver's, you know, let it go. And then uh, Josh Drayton, defensive back, chimed in, jumped in, said, yeah, that's pretty much right. And for that to happen, this had to be, without being in the room where it happened, to read the reactions, it had to be extreme. And uh, and I, I just, I, I shake my head as those who are watching can see, because I just know a little bit more about what everybody at Berkeley has gone through. And this is everybody at Berkeley. But now let's bring it into our little narrow window, watching what the basketball coaches, both of them did last season and what Justin Wilcox and football did and how to have it carry into another year. This is just, this is pushing the limits of, of, of your tolerance, of human tolerance to me. Um, so I, I just, that's why I keep shaking my head. I, I really, I hope that, because we know how good Justin is, I hope he can find a way from the football world to navigate through this. Yeah, I think a coach's job is always to have answers, to have answers. And when you don't have answers around something like this, yeah. that's so frustrating. And they had a large amount. I, I can't remember, like, but I want to say second or third most super seniors. Guys opt to come back for an extra year to play this year and then have a game or two or you know, who knows, um, they're taken from them. I'll say yeah. this, though, the last thing. I, I've been on some national radio shows um, and other regional radio shows outside of our footprint, and a lot of the narrative is, Cal, oh, my God, this is going to kill him. It's going to kill him in recruiting. Uh, everybody's going to hit the portal and transfer. And I, I don't think that. I think that's going to be the thought for this week. Um, but just like everything in this era of the world, I think it's what's in front of me right now. And I think once they settle in and go play and again, uh, reestablish clearer lines of communication around all the protocols around COVID and this pandemic. I think this too will pass. I think you're still looking at one of the top schools in the country. I think the kids that go there, Ted, that you referenced in the room, go there not just to play football, but for the education as well. It still can offer uh, high school athletes a unique experience. And I think once uh, you know they get through this after this week and, and they get back to playing, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic of a hit as being referenced in other parts of the country right now. All right. So more change because you referenced the next time Cal plays, it'll be their rivalry, the great big game against Stanford. Stanford has a game first this week at Oregon state. So we know what Oregon state went through changing on the defensive side there. Beaver defense has been, had taken a hit. We've seen them four straight weeks and the defense have been scuffling and it was, it was no question that side was hurting. Uh, but Stanford, wow. And uh, as any, everybody may have some idea, I live in that vicinity. I worked there a long time. I've never seen a game, and I was not there. I was, we were in Boulder, but watching it on television, much of it Friday night, I was just, again, doing this. I, I can't believe it. And I have to believe that went all the way to David Shaw, that he couldn't believe what he watched. So, man, guys, what? Go to Corvallis, where 
Oregon State's frustrated because they've still got that bar, that first hurdle to clear in front of them with their defensive change this week. And you've got a team coming in that, again, us on the outside would think they're going to be so angry. Every time I looked up, we were uh, in Boulder eating dinner uh, during that game. I just looked up. I'd and a Utah explosive play was happening. Every time I looked up at the television, I'd, I'd have a, I'd take a bite of the sandwich and I'd look up and some Utah player just running across the field, no one near I, And I kept going, this is Stanford. I mean, it was, it was surreal to peek up at that game as it was going on. And how, how is that team going to respond? Are they going to you know, are they going to pack it in or are they going to use that as motivation? I, I wonder, I wonder how that film session would go. You know, you just throw that tape away or do you watch it and, and, and really try to break that down? Like, how does that go? Yeah. You show them no more than 10 plays from that game period. Uh, it may be even less and a few teachable moments. It sounds like there's going to be some changes there. Uh, so be curious to see what those are, whether that's schematically, uh, more, you know, Stanford's not a heavy pressure team. Do they try to get more aggressive and disruptive in the backfield? I would recommend that against Oregon State and what we've seen them do the last couple of weeks. Uh, quarterback play, obviously Jack West has struggled. You know, we love Jack. He's an awesome young man, but he's just struggled every time he's played, and that's just the reality. So is our to the guy? I'd love to see Ari Patu play in this game. Uh, uh, it'd be an absolute blast. Um, imagine if he plays the week after against his brother, Oren Patu, a linebacker at Cal. We got storylines for days. And Yogi, we should tell you know, people listening probably don't know who Ari Patu is. We saw him play in the spring game at Stanford, uh, quarterback, football family, and a rare, one of the first two or three early admits Stanford was about the last big time football school to allow early admits. And they had three this year. That we played Ari Patu was one of them for sure. So that he participated in their spring and we saw him in the spring game. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, I think they netted out with two. Uh, but Ari, he's all of six, three and a half. Uh, he's got a frame to put on a lot of great weight. Uh, his father played Saul at Oregon yep. with Justin Wilcox and Peter Sermon. Uh, the challenge with him is that he didn't play a lot of high school football. So people don't have a ton of numbers on him. I saw him at the Elite 11. I remember talking to Coach Shaw about him afterwards and saying, man, the guy can just spin it. Yeah. Comes out of his hand. It's going to be different than anybody in your room. And it is. He's different than everybody in that Stanford QB room. Uh, easily the best athlete of the group. Uh, I I'd love to see him play. I, I mean, I hope Tanner can play. Hopefully he's healthy. It gives him the best chance of winning. Uh, but if, if Ari has to play, I think it'll be really fun to see what Stanford does because it would be simplified dramatically offensively. Do they increase the tempo of their offense? Like, wh What's it look like? In that regard, um, the, the biggest question, though, to me is going to be defensively for Stanford. What changes will we see? On the other side for the Beavs, uh, out, as Ted referenced, Tim Tibisar, uh, and is Trent Bray. Trent Bray played there. He's got a great reputation. They love him there. I don't know if I could have anticipated a move mid at this point in the season, but when you reflect on it, it makes sense because you give uh, now Trent Bray an audition. You give him a couple games. How does he manage the room? What's his command like? What's his game prep like? All the things for Jonathan Smith to get a real live evaluation of him prior to deciding who's going to be the full-time DC after the season. Uh, so, so I'm excited for them. The Beavs, clearly, uh, they need a win to just get bowl eligible. It's been a couple weeks in a row where they haven't had that. And Stanford, uh, they need to win out. And uh, you know, clearly has struggled much more than we anticipated coming into this season. Yeah, what, 
what, what did Carl Durrell tell us last Friday when we met with him in Boulder? He said he heard when he got there that Colorado had developed a little bit of a reputation for not finishing the seasons strong. And that's why he was emphasizing strong November. I think Jonathan Smith's feeling a little bit of that too, because two years ago, remember, they had a shot at the end of the year to get six and get a bowl game, which we all, we, we've hammered at home for the last four weeks as the voices of the bees and all of the best, Mike Parker, the real voice of the bees, but uh, they had a shot. They didn't get there. He doesn't want to let that shot go away again. That's what I, I'm thinking. I was thinking when I read this, the change he made, I'm thinking that's exactly what Carl Durrell told us. I'm not going to let this season slip away as the end of the year did two years ago. Yeah. And this is the one for them that they got to go get because then they have yeah. ASU coming to town. Uh, and then of course the rivalry game. Okay. So before we get to the rest of these games, I want to let you a little bit, I want to let you, uh, I want to let you guys know a little bit more about our partners at bet rivers sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with bet rivers yet. Now is the time they're offering 250 bucks match bonus for your very first deposit. And what sets them apart is they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash with their new rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and much more reliable than ever before. So here we are, final month of the season, final few weeks of the season, but you can still get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or download the BetRivers iOS app. Of course, you need to be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, uh, the rest of the game's on the slate for Saturday. I'm going to rip them off real fast. Utah goes to Arizona, 11 a.m. ASU goes to Washington. We touched upon that already. Uh, Colorado is here in LA, we're calling this one against UCLA, and Wazoo goes to Oregon. If there's one thing among those games that you're like, this is what I can't wait to watch, will this possibly happen? What is it for both of you guys? Michael, jump in. Well, I'm gonna, I listening to those games, Wazoo, Oregon. I yeah. think, can, I think, I think Wazoo can, can make it interesting. And I'm just wondering if Oregon can finally go out and get some style points. And maybe they just, maybe they just have a game where they look like a dominant, one of the dominant teams in the country. Um, I think that's, that's the most interesting thing to me is, is Oregon going to be able to show that they're one of the most dominant teams in the country or is Wazoo going to sneak up on them? A few teams have this year. And, and it's a classic football i mean it's classic sports game when you're on the utah side guys you see they they know what's ahead of them is likely utah oregon state utah so they you understand it's pretty that's gonna be pretty rough road and do they pay attention in the way necessary against this team and, I'm, and I, i've said this a few times jane delora to me is one of the unsung players in the conference this year and again it's washington state so a little harder for them to get into the brightest of lights, but that, that dude competes. And they've won some games that and, and could well have beaten BYU. Had they been able to kick an extra point, they would have been able to at least get that game to overtime and had a shot. So that's the game to me, same thing, yo. Can the Cougs go up there and deliver a little shock uh, to the Beavs? We've seen that happen up there before in the uh, Leach era. Yes, here we have Amari Cristobal. Uh, of course, every quote gets dissected, but he said, hey, this is a big time rivalry for us. And of course, mark it down. Ted and I agreed, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah you guys agreed. Uh, I'll say the same game, but I'm really intrigued to see Jake Dickert. Wazoo had the latest buy of any team in the Pac-12, right? So they went through their whole slate of games until this past week. 
had a week off. They needed it. Let's remember that they too had brought, they brought in assistance. They didn't just elevate assistance. They were in the program like Arizona state or Oregon state or UW. They had to bring dudes that were retired off of their couch. Say, hey, come on in and, and help us coach in the run and shoot offense. So they've had some time. And I believe this. I believe Jake Dickert is a legitimate candidate to be the next head coach at Washington State. I don't think he needs to win at Oregon. I think if he does, he could, you could almost kind of, you could definitely write it in like sharper pencil that he can be the guy there. They get a short week against Arizona afterwards on the Pac-12 Networks, a night game at home. And then they go on a Friday game after Thanksgiving in the Apple Cup. And I think this is all about how hard this team plays. And we've seen them play hard. We've seen their defensive front get aggressive and compete against one of the better offensive lines in Oregon State and utilize their athleticism. How do they do against an Oregon offensive front in that regard? How does Oregon do in terms of all the movement that they do against a very athletic defense? There's going to be times where Washington State will guess right. There may be times when they guess wrong and Travis Dye can have another big game. So there, there's a lot of storylines in this ballgame for the crew that's calling it uh, at 7.30 on Saturday night, and, and, I, and I look forward to it. I, I don't think Oregon needs to roll. I think a reminder to uh, the mouth of the South and everybody else that Washington State's second in the Pac-12 North right now amid everything that they've gone through. Yeah. I mean, listen, they're, they're not Washington State that we saw after the Utah State game in week one that you're like, oh, my God, what just happened there when they lost? This is this is a team that is real. So I don't think Oregon needs to win by three scores. Uh, I think they just need to look like the complete team they've looked over the last couple of weeks. Yogi, that's why you're the best. Because guess what? We're talking about these things. If if Washington State can win Saturday, they start to sing Viva Las Vegas, baby. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine? I mean, they, they'd have the lead if they win. They'd have, obviously, they'd have the tiebreak edge, which would not be very good for the conference with a CFP story, but would be fabulous if you're a kook. It would be crazy. And you know the irony of that, just for the nerds out there? Uh, Washington State's previous head coach, Nick Rolovich, I'm almost 100% certain he signed his contract in the Vegas stadium. So, yeah. like, the total full circle side is it's just crazy. Um, all right, last thing before we get to our humanity moment of the week. Um, I want you guys to think about this, and we're going to talk about it next week. What's the best duo at wide receiver in our league? Because hmm. I think there's an argument that we're going to see it on Saturday night in Brendan Rice and Levante Chenault. I mean, I, I get that they've only played two games yeah. together all season. If the body of work but, is only last week, I might yeah. agree with you. Yeah, like if you just had to take <laughs> these two, an X and a Z, right? Like, who would you draft? Forget the stats. Like, of course, you'd take Drake London, and it doesn't matter who you'd take next because you'd want him as your one. But if you really looked at it and said, you're going to have to play man-to-man -man coverage all game on these two guys, I want to talk about it next week and, and see what we think. We're going to get another look of Colorado in man-to-man -man coverage against UCLA at six o'clock on the Pac-12 Networks, the pregame, and Ashley and Nigel and Nick Aliotti are going to be there. It's going to be a blast. So a um, little food for thought as, as we get into the week. Uh, before we get to the humanity moment of the week, I want to make sure we let all the listeners know about the Field of 12 Media. It's a brand new podcast and digital media network covering college football by people that know it best. You've heard that many times over the last couple of weeks, and hopefully you would agree with that. It's got some really good talent here. It's brought to you by Shoot Your Shot Productions, the folks behind the field of 68. Now, the field of 12 gives you insight into the game we love by people who have lived it in every facet. Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty, they have the Big 12. 
Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I can't believe Texas's record. I'll be honest. I looked at it the other day, and I was like, oh, my God. I thought that they were much better than that, but they've lost so many close ones. Joshua Perry, Christian Hackenberg covered the Big Ten. Uh, we'll get in a debate with them, I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks over the college football playoff if Ohio State and Oregon win out. Max Starks, Clint Sterner own the SEC. I know they're gearing up for that New Mexico State-Alabama game, which is the barn burner. And we got Harry Douglas and Cody Sensabaugh the ACC pit is still ranked in the top 25. And, of course, we're here every week to be your go-to source in the Pac-12. Check out all the links below for the rest of our shows. It's the Field of 12, where we believe college football happens. Okay, Michael, all you. Well, I was uh, pondering topics, and I thought maybe I could do an expose on the city or the city state of Berkeley or their former quarterback who to put it mildly is painfully unaware of how others are experiencing him. But I decided this week I was going to stick to sports because with apologies to the reality, uh, the reality housewives of Youngstown or who wants to wear a midget sports are the true only reality show in town. And they do at times provide an escape, which at times we all need. Drama, mystery, and joy. So some examples that just came up this week. The drama of Everett Hayes, who in the period of 27 minutes of real time, not game time, but real time, was the GOAT, missing a 51-yarder with 32 seconds left at Colorado. And then uh, remarkably as an understatement, somehow 30 seconds later kicked a 60 yard field goal to tie the game. And then in the second overtime missed a 43 yarder and eventually Colorado won. And, you know, in that time I got two texts. All right, now we want the kicker of state wins for the post game show. So, I mean, that's how things operate there. So anyway, what that was unbelievable drama. And then last night, the mystery, we have this uh, Peyton Watson the new freshman uh, phenom for UCLA, who doesn't do it on offense, Yogi. He's got a 7-1 wingspan, and he, as Ted put it, looks like Spider-Man out there at times, making steals and plays. And it's just, that's what you get every season. You get this new player you've never heard of who can be mysterious and perform. And it was great to see him last night. And then sometimes it's random joy, and it's as random as it gets. In preparing for that game last night, I was watching the Gonzaga shot, half-court shot Jalen Suggs hit on my computer right here at this table in the kitchen table. And my two daughters were sitting across the other way. They couldn't see it. They could just hear it. And they said, what are they yelling about? What could possibly be that exciting? And I spun the computer around and I hit it again. And they got to see the video while hearing that call from the great Bill Raftery, Grant Hill, and uh, Jim Nance. And it was, they're like, dad, that actually was as exciting as they made it sound. And then they said, dad, what does onions mean? And I just, <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> so thank you, Bill Raftery for making me smile on a weekend that yeah. I really needed it. Just, it's a vegetable, Michael. It's all you say. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, that's awesome. All right. I love you guys. We got to we gotta get back to our prep. You guys are in basketball season. Great job, by the way. I listened to the game last night. You guys were rolling. Um, and we, we'll keep it rolling here. We'll be at uh, the Rose Bowl Saturday night. 
Hit us up with your thoughts, what you think about the receiver duo, and your thoughts on the college football playoff. We got you covered right here at Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure alongside Michael Molinari. Have a great week and stay safe. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.